Hello, and welcome to Invent Health, a podcast from technology and product development company, TTP. I'm your host, Matt Parker. Over the course of this season, we're going to be exploring the fascinating future of health technologies. Today, we ask, how can we design for trust in health technologies and medical devices? What does it take for you to trust someone? A long-standing personal relationship? Them delivering on something they said they would do? Or is it something innate in someone's character? An intrinsic sense that they are not going to let you down? One sector which answers positively to all those questions around trust is healthcare. Polling shows that trust in doctors is amongst the highest of any profession. And it's obvious why. Doctors have some of the most rigorous education and training of any profession. And as custodians of the world's well-being, we don't really have a choice not to. But there's another industry which would answer more negatively to those questions. Technology. Trust in technology, and specifically digital media and the internet, has plummeted in recent years. Some think tanks claim that 75% of Americans now distrust social media, while trust for the industry behind it has followed a similar trajectory. This brings up an issue for healthcare. As we've seen over this series, health and technology are becoming ever more intertwined. Telehealth, remote monitoring, and the rise of AI, health tech is now a fundamental part of the healthcare landscape. So as trust drops for technology in general, what will be the consequences for health tech? And what can people working in this sector do to ensure this doesn't happen? This is what I wanted to find out. So I spoke to a couple of people from TTP and beyond to get some answers. First up, I spoke with Dan Locke, a colleague of mine at TTP, who you might remember from our first series. Dan is a principal consultant in human factors at TTP. His background is in psychology, with a master's in ergonomics and human-computer interaction. His primary interests are around human performance, usability, behaviour change, and user experience in medical technology. He also has a particular focus on supporting design for engagement, something he talked with us about previously on the podcast. With a topic this broad and fundamental to healthcare, I started off with the basics. What do we mean when we talk about trust? So yeah, today we're talking about trust and design for trust as well. I wondered if a good place to start us off is just to think about what does trust actually mean? What do we actually mean when we say someone trusts another person? And why is that so important? Uh, to healthcare? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think trust is, everyone knows what it means, but you obviously have to, to actually dig into what, what it really means. I think it's it's to do with taking a confident step into, into something that is, is unknown. And I guess it comes back from, you know, society itself is built on trust. Trade wouldn't exist without trust. Cooperation between people wouldn't exist without trust. And I think obviously people have evolved in order to trust each other or to find mechanisms by which they can determine whether someone can be trusted. And yeah, it's quite interesting. I think obviously been subject to a lot of research on the economic side, um, as Russell Crowe on The Beautiful Mind, who's the one that invented it. <laughs> John Nash, as I was saying, the great economist John Nash, who I'm sure we've worked, you're very familiar with that. He kind of wrote the first paper, I think, on game theory. I guess the three kind of foundations for, for that is there's got to be a, a potential win-win for people in order to trust each other. And it can't be a zero-sum game where one person always gains and everyone else loses everything. Mm -hmm. There has to be repetition 
So it has to be a game that goes on multiple times. So if you only see someone once in your life, there's less incentive for you to trust or to, you know, careful about that person. And then also, I guess there's got to be a miscommunication has to be handled carefully so that people don't get the wrong idea and think that they are being tricked when they're not. I wonder, has has there been any uh, research looking into the relationships in terms of trust between not just from sort of one individual to another, but about the relationships that people might have between maybe people and computers or humans and machines when it's not, you know, an equal footing in that sense? I think it's difficult to say with a machine whether or not you're trusting the machine or actually the intent of the person that that is in control of that machine. When it's uh, something that's electronic, when it's actually a communication or a representation of a corporation or another agent and and how they're going to react with you, then it's more about whether that is effectively, you know, communicating what you need to know in order to trust that, that item. Is it filling in the gaps in your knowledge to your satisfaction that you'll be able to to work with it? And with computers, things have got increasingly sophisticated over time. And then there was talk about persuasion, computers as persuasive technology, which is captology. BJ Fogg kind of coined that term. What is captology? Yeah. So that the captology is is basically you know where what feeds into a computer's ability to change your behaviour, mm. to persuade you to do something that's good for you, perhaps. Um, like take, you know, some medication or live a healthy lifestyle. What is kind of exploring, you know, how how easily computers can help people. And I guess the next phase, you know, we've talked about functionality through to persuasion. I guess the current wave or the one that might come soon would be around whether computers can represent us or advocate for us in the kind of AI sense, you know, can mm. can we trust them enough to make decisions on our behalf without us really being involved to to take actions for us, to do things that we think are the best. And, and do we trust them to do that? Because once we've established, say, how it might happen, but let's say we everyone has a personal thing on their phone, the phone knows them well enough and they trust it well enough to know that it can deal with life admin and things that you don't want to do. Hmm. You know, on a, you know, respond to emails even or set things up for you. Once we, then maybe that's the next wave when people trust AI well enough to do that. Then I guess that will um, that will be something that's more commonplace in terms of I guess us trusting their tech people trusting their technology. Health is maybe an emerging field. Have there been other I guess examples of industries where the science, the understanding here is more advanced? I, I did read some research that was saying in looking at the extent to which people trust certain institutions, and 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 the top of the pile was actually um, their doctor. You know, I think it was like eighty seven percent trusted their GP or their primary care provider. And then the lowest was social media. And that was around 50%, still quite high, I think. And then somewhere in the middle, there was your bank, which is like 76%. The field of captology is a really interesting example of why trust and healthcare are both so important, but also fickle. It might seem sinister that computers are being built with the express motive of changing behaviors and opinions. But in healthcare contexts, it's really vital. So as technology in healthcare becomes ever more entwined, from telehealth to AI and more, how do we ensure that the 87% trust in doctors that Dan mentioned maintains? Well, one person who's been working to ensure these figures remain as high as they are is Jordan Abdi. Jordan is a World Economic Forum global shaper and Schwarzman scholar who's passionate about preventative health. He's a medical doctor by background and has more than eight years of experience working in the health technology sector. 
He now works as the Life Sciences Business Development Lead at Picnic Health, a company who track health records for patients across the US. So no matter which provider patients go to, their historic health records stay with them. With something as personal as health records, trust in the institution dealing with them is obviously key. So I started off by asking Jordan about how fundamental trust is in healthcare, especially between doctors and patients, before getting into his work with Picnic Health. So thank you very much for coming to talk to us today. Absolutely, looking forward to it. I wonder uh, if we could start by talking a little bit about why trust is so important uh, in the sort of doctor-patient relationship. Well, I think to be to be candid, we don't really have a choice. You know, if you think about what you go to see clinicians for, physical or mental health, it's, it's often deeply personal, deeply intimate problems mm. that you wouldn't even want to disclose to your loved ones. And so implicit in engaging with with doctors and nurses uh, is that you trust the privilege they have to know, you know some of your ailments and, and things that perhaps aren't going so well in your your mental or physical life that's treated with respect and if you look at the history of clinical practice as much as we do pra- we, we do respect and do have a great deal of trust for clinicians it hasn't always been so smooth there's been scandal after scandal you know you back centuries and the profession is very much built actively sets of, of statutes, codes, and, and practice that make patients or allow patients to have a, a degree of trust because it, it's it's really, as I say, not something we really have a choice in if you want to have access uh, to healthcare. I think where things are getting interesting is, you know, that that is becoming less and less true because more and more of uh, healthcare uh, is delivered in in-person, uh, mm. online, and via application, certainly in the mental health space. And actually, there's there's no longer this obligation that there need to be another human being with whom you have to disclose things who you know you might be not be super excited about disclosing. But yeah, I mean, I think you know if you go back to the core of it, the core of that relationship between patients, their doctors, their nurses, if there isn't trust, there isn't healthcare, mm. and the, the two go hand in hand. Um, increasingly, many parts of the world are no longer on 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 pieces of paper. Mm. Computers and computer systems are a vital part of of delivering care. And do you think there's a change there from sort of trusting people to trusting computers? Yeah. So though I will say it's a little tragic. We haven't quite made as robust a move toward digital records as, as you might hope. There's far too much paper that that's still being used for recording information. Mm. But this, it's a very interesting point that you raise around this this notion of trusting trusting systems, computers more than than trusting individuals, mm. and that comes as part of how healthcare evolved, but also with the rise of, of technology. I mean, you go back 10 years ago, one of the big debates in medical profession was around you know, Dr. Google mm. and the, the intense frustration that the patient would come to you not with uh, problems, but with solutions. Mm. What we're seeing there, you know, fast forward 10, 15 years, is Dr. Google is getting a lot better. And there's not just Dr. Google, there are a whole range of healthcare technologies out there uh, that play some role in helping you understand your own health and understand how different behaviours can map to different health outcomes. And people are much more informed about their own health. And with that, people feel more empowered to take more control over their, their healthcare and their decisions. I wonder um, if you could tell me a little bit about the work you do with Picnic Health mm. and what you're doing there. Yeah, so I, I, perhaps your listeners won't be super familiar with Picnic Health. That They're primarily based in the United States. Where Picnic slots in for the patient journey is it's almost like a, a records concierge service. Patients will register onto the, the Picnic Health platform, takes maybe five to 10 minutes, just of their basic information, some of the providers that they've they've been to before. 
And then Picnic will go around the United States to every sort of provider that that patient's ever engaged with and retrieve their those records on behalf of the patient. And then what's provided back to the patient is a full sort of timeline of all of their clinical information, every blood test, you know, every scan, every office visit, you know, every consultation in a single record in their pocket that they can then share onwards with other clinicians as they they move around their journey. And so you know, we talked a little about trust earlier. I mean, this is a big part of being able to trust Picnic Health is, you know, with the health record information is that actually you can see that those re- those information are being provided back to the patient. So, you know, we work primarily with rare disease patients where they would be more commonly moving around providers due to the nature of the conditions. Uh, and yeah, we work with sort of those communities to support their record record curation. Mm. I, I think that's really interesting because, you know, we talked a bit about trusting trusting the system and trusting healthcare systems. And I guess Picnic as a as a private organisation, you're saying, yeah, actually, you know, trust us with your records. And I wondered if that's something that sort of factored into some of the company's thinking. And I, I guess, how do you show patients that you can trust Picnic, you know, as a, someone to curate and look after your your healthcare records, some of your really sort of personal um, medical information. Mm. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on there. I mean, there's very little more that an individual could share with a private company that is more personal, more intimate. And what really comes back to heart for, for Picnic Health is that the patient always comes first. Everything we do, it's all about making sure the patient is the center of their data. Mm. Um, and so that means, yes, they get all their data back, but also you know, we can leverage those data for research, but only with patient consent. And we do all kinds of projects to understand, help communities or people with rare diseases you know, advance the knowledge and understanding of what's happening. But really, we work directly with patients on those research. We provide information back about output of those research. And you know, they, they, the patients that we speak to, the feedback we get, it's pretty resoundingly sort of positive on the lines of the fact that they are able to be really at the core of their care delivery and then core of the, how their data is being used. This distinction between an NHS doctor and a private healthcare provider like Picnic Health is really interesting. For the former, trust has developed over a long time. It's about personal relationships as much as anything else. But for the latter, it's something that has to be built from scratch. Putting patients at the core of what they do and focusing on the personal side of health is how Picnic have been so successful in doing this. But in order for companies like Picnic to succeed, they also need to align with some core principles for trust that Dan was alluding to earlier. These lean into the more philosophical side of things. They're about the innate trust between user and machine. I went back to Dan to explore what such a set of principles might look like. So if we were to, I guess, dive into some of the principles for trust mm. that kind of underpin whether we trust something or not, what would you say that they are? Well, I mentioned already alignment of outcomes. I think that's a big a big one. And that is obviously to do with whether the person has anything to gain from, from your mis- losing out. If you go to a restaurant and you order something and the waiter takes you aside and says, yeah, I wouldn't order that actually, um, I'd get the get this one instead it's cheaper and it's more tasty you're more likely to trust him and then when you recommend something else you'll be like great you know whereas if he comes in and he says i wouldn't get that if i was you i'd get this one which costs three times as much then you're less likely to trust him you're going to think he's actually he's he's trying to get something out of me here he's trying to make me buy something more expensive and and therefore you might not trust his further recommendations that he makes so, you know, this alignment of outcomes, I think, especially is, is really important. The other ones would be there's transparency um, is a big one. So the fact that, you know, you know 
Who are these people? What are they going to do with this data? Where is it going? What's going to happen next? And how are they going to, you know, keep me aware of any problems? So those kinds of things are quite powerful as well. And then um, the other one, I think, is accountability as well. So showing that you, how you will react, um, make things right, if things go wrong. Mm. And if you have a track record of, you know, being trustworthy, or have there been data breaches before, you know, and, and have you dealt with them badly? Those kinds of things are also going to fit into things. And from those, those three elements, I guess the you know belief in a, a authority or organisation that endorses something, the sort of confidence that there's some technology that's going to keep my data safe or keep me safe, all that those kind of human elements and that human touch. Which of those do you think is the most significant if we're thinking about why people trust or why patients might trust a trust a system? I mean, you don't you don't need regulations to trust someone and you don't need the other thing i think at the end of the day it's that it's who that person is, is is the most important thing that human connection i think so you know believing that there is a real person there and that they are going to react to this would be something that makes you feel you know more, more you can trust them more you know as a real person and you know if if you sign up for a for some kind of digital app and and on confirmation you get a phone call from a real person who's clearly you know looked at your data and has a few questions and just want to double check that you've you've understood yeah your answer is something you know you're going to feel much more like cared for you're going to feel like mm. that's a real person that the system is is quality it's not just actually a you know automated response you're going to be more trusting of it and more likely to participate i guess i wonder if there've been any studies which explore trust in in this sense trust between humans trust between humans and machines there's some i mean there are some very famous studies on on trust and authority milgram's experiments especially are well known in psychology which is where people were you know instructed to turn a dial to electrocute another third party that was you know behind a, a wall and and pretending to be electrocuted obviously they weren't really electrocuted and so Milgram, yeah, that experiment's famous because he was trying to look at why people, you know, followed orders from the Nazis. That's kind of the, you know, that was the original impetus, I think, for that. And he was focused very much on authority. And so people with white coats were trusted, were more likely to be obeyed than people who were not wearing white coats. People in, and they've, they've redone this multiple times, lots of different factors. You know, a more professional, clean kind of experimental room was, was trusted, people were more likely to obey than if it was like a disheveled place at the wrong end of town. So there's all these like things that were explored with those experiments, all very interesting. But I guess authority is one of the things, but I think trust is also featuring in there because obviously it's not just authority that you see in the white coat, it is credibility. And, and you know, that's why doctors have certificates on their wall. That's why people look at reviews, personal recommendations, all of these factors feed into to trust and, and whether or not you're likely to take that person seriously. So I think, yeah, I think those initial experiments were very interesting and I think they probably building on that you can extend the findings to these other kind of markers authority and credibility these two things stick out for me as key if we want to engender trust in an institution or a person there's something that healthcare has more of than most institutions especially in that doctor-patient relationship but as we've seen that personal kind of credibility is much harder to develop in technology just take a look at the lack of trust in social media in this new post-truth age of misinformation. So how do we develop tools which simultaneously safeguard trust and also make healthcare more efficient? 
Jordan told me about some really interesting examples which have done just this. I wonder if we're sort of looking towards the future a bit, and I guess we're talking about designing new tools. I wonder if you've got any examples that come to mind of systems that do this really well, sort of digital tools and digital systems where this kind of thinking around trust has been built in from the core and, you know, they're very effective at, at communicating that to the patient. I mean, I think I would, maybe not a particularly creative uh, answer, but the NHS app that sort of gained popularity during the COVID pandemic, mm. where all of a sudden, pretty much the entire population, and other countries I think had, had equivalent apps that were QR coding their vaccination status, where all of a sudden people were suddenly uploading all their medical records and the very minimum their vaccination records onto a single platform. And really the reason why they were so comfortable doing so, I think is because they had, were so used to trusting the system, in this particular instance, the NHS, that just to give this data to another new platform that really hadn't been all that well deployed, I mean, it existed long before COVID, but at that kind of scale, certainly hadn't, it was was remarkable. And you saw the trust really across the board. You saw mm. the trust from patients who were like, you know, this is going to be the platform I will share my vaccination and other records on, but also trust from all industry, you know, mm. from airplane open spaces and events venues where, you know, you showed this app and there was just no ambiguity. There was no uncertainty. If mm. this app says that you've had a vaccine, you've had a vaccine, 100% you've had a vaccine. If it doesn't, then you haven't. And it's just remarkable. It's almost instantaneously, uh, everyone had complete trust of this system. No one even thought to question, you know, is, are there errors? You know, are there erroneous data here? Or is it it's data 100% uh, secure and safe? Do you think uh, that's to do with the platform itself? Or do you think that's the sort of I mean, in the UK, the sort of weight and the reputation of the NHS behind it kind of drew that forward. Mm, pretty hard to say. I mean, my sense is that the the fact that it was an NHS platform, I think, went a long way mm. in ensuring its adoption. That's really interesting. I guess it kind of leapfrogs into one of the areas that's come a lot up a lot when we're talking about new technologies, which is using I guess, new artificial intelligence tools and machine learning to develop new systems based on these big data sets that are, are being input. And I'm interested in your thoughts there on how, I guess, when we're these systems which have been trained on huge data sets where there's not such a clear link as to exactly why a system is making a particular decision or a particular recommendation, but how can we know that we can trust those types of technologies where it's not exactly clear how the decision-making process has happened? It's a slippery slope. I, I'm, I'm probably sick quite conservatively when it comes to sort of black box, big data type models, because there are two big risks. Mm. Risk number one is that the data that the, the models have been designed on are not truly reflective of an average patient population. And what I really mean there is that there are biases biases in terms of age or any other demographic, maybe biases in the disease profile, maybe biases in the way in which care was being delivered. And so when you try and map any single model that's been trained on a big data set uh, mm. onto a real population, you need to be very confident that that data set is really reflective of the wider society. Otherwise, you can get erroneous decision making, which is really what I think the bigger risk is, which is risk two, that these decisions become indefensible but unavoidable, and that patients are using tools or using applications or even clinicians using tools and applications and making decisions that they cannot justify and for which the outcomes of which may not be known for a very long time. And so I think, you know, where the industry needs to go, where we need to push the needle is towards more and more explainable AI, mm. where the outputs can at least be explained in some way 
such that patients and clinicians and regulators can really understand you know, whether the models are excellent you know, or actually, in instances, harmful. The difference between tools like the NHS COVID app and AI models in terms of trust comes down to that idea of ambiguity. With AI, inherent biases and black box issues means that outcomes can feel intangible. But the simplicity of something like the COVID app and the credibility its creator already has means there's no room for ambiguity. It does what it says on the tin. I went back to Dan to find out some more about how we might design other complicated tools which can mirror this simplicity. Thinking about when we're designing new solutions that are going to go into the healthcare system and tapping into some of these, these worries, these anxieties around reliability of data and building uh, systems that both patients and providers can, can actually trust and interact with. So, yeah, maybe the context of uh, monitoring is a really good one to start with. You know, how mm. could we design a system that a, a doctor would trust that was creating a, a log or a, um, some kind of medical record for that particular patient? Yeah, I think the, the trust for doctors, I think the, the challenge for them comes from the volume of data that they're expected to keep on top of and being anxious that they've not missed something because obviously the more of these sort of these systems exist, the more sources you're going to have to keep an eye on, the more false alarms you're going to get. You're going to start to find it very tedious. So there needs to be trust that, that the algorithm or whatever it is, is doing its job, that it's selectively screening people out only when they have a very high chance of, of having a, a certain problem. And also they have to understand the system and how it works. And that brings us on to explainable AI, I guess, where systems are making decisions or suggesting people are looked at or brought in for an examination on the basis of some remote monitoring. Is that a lot of the times in AI systems, it's not entirely clear why the system is making the decision it's doing? Is that is that explainable AI? Is that what we're trying to, to get at there? Yeah, that's, that's it. I think it's um, understanding why it's made a decision. When it becomes a more complicated thing, like diagnosing a particular thing on the basis of symptoms or, or signs rather than on any kind of chemical genetic test or something then it becomes much more you, know, you need to understand you know the, the the steps they've taken i wonder if with all the development in this space do you think trust will in these digital interventions from patients and from doctors will is increasing over time or do you see it continuing to fragment as we see more and more chaos online with social media you know can we bring it back with by designing systems that are good, that people do trust. I think as with humans, you know, you you learn to trust something over time as you have increased interactions with that, frequencies of interactions with, with that institution, person, whatever. So trust will come when, when people have enough familiarity with it that they've had, you know, they've had good experiences, they've got value, they've been happy that something good has come out of it on a case-by-case case basis in terms of like individual digital interventions. In terms of general trust, it's hard to see past, you know, the increased tendency towards mistrust and conspiracy and, and, and investing in healthcare. And so there will probably will always be some people who just say, I'm not going to do that. And it's, it's going to be some cultural elements to that as well. I mean, I know that there are different cultures which have different attitudes to their personal data. And that's probably ongoing today in other countries, then they may be less trusting of certain types of data and, and that will be something that might require a different approach in, in those cultures. Designing systems to be robust enough to withstand questions around trust is one thing. 
But there's something else which could go a long way to maintaining it. Regulation. Now, this is something more obviously possible for state-run institutions like the NHS. But regulation has long been absent from many areas of the technology industry, especially in the Silicon Valley-based tech behemoths. So as these companies encroach further into the health space, I wanted to know how regulation could play a role in making us trust the healthcare devices they've been developing. I let Jordan talk us through this, alongside some conclusions on the future of trust in healthcare more broadly. I wonder if, you know, we're seeing some of the big tech giants increasingly moving into the, the healthcare space. You know, Apple Health now is increasing increasing its reach into more and more areas of your healthcare. And maybe more people are used to having their healthcare, at least aspects of it, living on their phone, living on a wearable device, living on their wrist. And I wonder if that kind of process of normalization there might help some of the onboarding of other technologies that go in a similar space. Yes. I mean, it's a very interesting point with the the slow but consistent involvement these big tech companies are playing in in healthcare. I think mobile phone wearable companies, Apple being probably one of the biggest, mm. are, are most notable in that they are making a very deliberate attempt to help people consciously and unconsciously collect more data about their health. Everything from quality of sleep to you know how many steps you're taking a day, what's your heart rate if you have one of those uh, watches. You know what's the the rhythm of your of your heart rate? Are there risks of developing certain conditions? And they're pretty consistently trying to sort of build this sort of macro data set around your body when you're not unwell in some way to try and help support healthcare long term. I'm skeptical, certainly in the short to medium term, how much value they're going to really add to the average mm. patient uh, because there's so much uh, noise in your day to day data generation. And disease cycles are so long that I think with the exception of a few very specific use cases, you may not find such early diagnosis of anything with any degree of accuracy. But it's 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 the space that they're invariably moving into. I think there's probably also a degree, if I may say so, of naivety in healthcare data from some of the bigger companies, just because they've been so successful in data in other 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 areas, mm. consumer advertising. You know, across the board, they've worked with massive data sets and been able to predict outcomes with immense precision. That there's almost this expectation, well, healthcare data is just another type of data for which we mm. can build clever models to to get to the same conclusion. There's a few key pieces that people are, are, I guess, missing, which is healthcare isn't just a science. It's to a great extent an art. And it comes back to our earlier conversation around trust. Um, mm. You know, when you go and see a physician because you have, you know, new pain in your back. You're not just going there for the diagnosis and medication. You're actually going there for a much wider consultation on actually what are my options more broadly? What are the pros and cons? Why do you think I'm having this? And other other areas where you know I should be thinking about in my life. And for any given patient, that answer might be different mm. because it's very context dependent, and people have different tolerances for how they want to live their life. And if you try and distill healthcare down into a pure exact science, you try and map that science onto a very diverse population, you'll find that actually one shoe does not fit all. And uh, that's before we even get into some of the regulatory hurdles that working with healthcare data bring with it. You touched on there on the sort of the the regulatory aspect here. This is in its infancy in in many areas. Do you think the kind of a strong regulatory environment there is something that can help build trust in in tools? And so a patient or a doctor knows that a tool has a particular quality to it that means they can trust it. 
Yeah, so this is, I think, where it gets very tricky for the regulator. A core part of healthcare delivery, you know, you think back to the Hippocratic Oath, a core part of it is just do no harm. Hmm. Do no harm does not mean literally under any circumstance can the patient come under any harm. Because of course, you know, all kinds of medication interventions come with risk and with side effects. But what it really means is that the intention of what you're doing has to be that the patient is not coming under undue harm and that at the very forefront is their well-being. And you think about what the regulators are now having to confront with some of these newer technologies, with that type of thinking, mapping a macro population risk is much, much harder when you're thinking about system-wide technologies than when you're thinking about a professional body. You know, it's going to be an evolving game. I think we're not going to see regulators go about this in a very gung-ho fashion. Um, certainly the, the Silicon Valley, you know, break things and you know move fast is not going to apply. And do you think digital tools are going to be an essential part of delivering that kind of new model of healthcare? I think they can be. I think they can play an accelerant role. And certainly if designed in the right way, where patients do have the trust to share information with them and do have the confidence that you know what they're being shared is being used appropriately and with consent, then we will see digital tools play an important role in helping patients understand their own health, their own risk, but also help clinicians make better decisions when thinking about a patient's own long-term risk, but also that community's long-term risk so that you know policymakers can invest the right resources in communities to actually meet local demand and you know, stave off a, a potential tsunami of, of illness in, in a few decades. That's absolutely fantastic. I think that's a really interesting way to sort of wrap up there, that kind of that look to the future. And yeah, I think it's been a really interesting conversation, Jordan. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Invent Health from TTP. And a big thanks to our returning guests, Dan and Jordan, for their insight. We'll be back next time with a new episode looking at cardiac health to find out about the future of cardiac monitoring and some more conversation around the big tech companies moving into this space. If you enjoyed this episode and want to let us know, please do get in touch on LinkedIn, Twitter or Instagram. You can find us at TTP. And don't forget to subscribe and review Invent Health on your favourite podcast app, as it really helps others find our show. We'll see you next time.